Hello, I'm Sita Ryder, the Assistant Press Attaché at the United States Embassy in Jakarta, Indonesia. This year, the United States and Indonesia are celebrating 70 years of bilateral relations. As part of this celebration, we, along with our partners Meridian International Center and IDN Media, are creating a series of podcasts about the U.S.-Indonesia partnership. From the environment to health, from the economy to the arts, you'll hear from Americans and Indonesians, their stories of working together, the challenges they have faced, and their hopes for this fascinating relationship. We like to say the relationship between Indonesia and the United States isn't just between governments. It's really about the people of our two diverse democracies. So take a listen and let us know what you think. And please explore our digital platform, www.indonesiausa70th.com, where you can find the podcasts and much, much more about the U.S.-Indonesia partnership. We'll be adding new content every month, so spread the word. And thanks for listening. Hello and welcome listeners. My name is Terry Harvey, Vice President of Cultural Programs at Meridian International Center, a nonprofit organization based in Washington, D.C. I'm joined by Sidney Morton from the American Red Cross and Arifin Mohamed Hadi from the Indonesian Red Cross to discuss their experiences working for the Red Cross after the natural disasters in fall 2018 in Indonesia. This podcast will grant insight into the partnership between their two organizations and the incredible work they achieved in Indonesia. So let's begin. First off, thank you, Sydney and Arifin, for joining me today. We'll start with Sydney. Can you tell me how you first became involved with the American Red Cross? Sure. Thank you so much for having us. I first became involved with the American Red Cross Three years ago, I joined the national headquarters in Washington, D.C. as part of the International Services Department. Since then, I've worked with global volunteers at Red Cross and Red Crescent societies around the globe, and more recently spent time doing external relations with members of the media and different partners around the world. And that's actually what led me to my work in Indonesia, which I know we'll talk about today. Great. And Arifin, can you explain a little bit more about how you became involved with the Indonesian Red Cross? Yes, uh, involved in the Indonesian Red Cross National Quarter since 2001. Uh, so my first position is as the manager for the community-based disaster preparedness, working with Dennis Red Cross to support PMI. And now, currently, uh, I am the head of disaster management division at the Indonesian Red Cross National Headquarters. My role is to lead and to manage the disaster management services and also to build partnership and networking with the other institutional agencies. Great. And... Sydney, if you can explain a little bit about what your current role is with the American Red Cross. Sure. So we have actually a network of 191 other Red Cross, Red Crescent societies in nearly every country around the world, as well as the IFRC and ICRC. Currently, I'm focused more so domestically within the United States, working with different corporate partners and donors to engage them in our mission across the U.S., Great. And diving in uh, to more substance here, um, perhaps each of you could uh, describe what exactly happened in Indonesia during the fall of 2018. 
Sure. So we can share a little bit more about the fall disasters this year. I'll start by saying that there was a series of disasters that took place in Indonesia a few months ago, kicking off with several earthquakes on the island of Lombok. On July 29th, there was a massive earthquake in the middle of the night. It was 6.4 in magnitude. And that night, many people on the island of Lombok lost their lives. And just a few days later, um, at the start of August on the 5th, another really destructive earthquake hit. That one was 7.0 in magnitude. It didn't stop there, um, tragically, and a few days later on August 9th, another 5.9 magnitude earthquake struck Lombok, and then 10 days later, two more came back to back that were each greater than 6.5 in magnitude. And so in just the course of several weeks, the island of Lombok was affected by this series of each truly devastating earthquakes, um, which affected um, thousands and thousands of people across the island. I arrived to Indonesia at that point in August, and um, three out of every four buildings on the island were severely damaged, if not destroyed by that point. And really, at the time I arrived in August, the ground hadn't stopped shaking. Um, there were over 2,000 aftershocks in the fall. And so if you just take a moment to think about the impact of 2,000 massive tremors just ongoing on a daily and weekly basis and the type of impact that that has on school, on health, on peace of mind, that's what the landscape looked like in Lombok. From there, as you know, in um, late September, on September 28th, Indonesia was affected by another series of disasters um, in Sulawesi, which is um, thousands of miles from Lombok, but absolutely devastating. And they experienced an earthquake followed by a tsunami and then a series of landslides and soil liquefaction that quite literally swallowed villages on the island of Sulawesi. There, 175,000 people were displaced and more than 4,000 people were killed. So across both Lombok and Sulawesi, um, more than 640,000 people were affected. And if you can take a moment to just think about 500,000 people, children and elderly and families still living in temporary shelters in Lombok alone. Um, the scale was immense. I will just point out that there was also in December another tsunami that affected um, Indonesia in the Sundra Strait. Um, it's known as the Krakatoa Tsunami. And it came in the middle of the night. Um, there was lots of media coverage around this, and that um, affected hundreds of people, and nearly 200 people lost their lives in that tsunami as well. 
you know, quite a tragic series of events. Um, Arafin, I wonder if you could speak a little bit uh, to the great work uh, the Red Cross has done. Um, really, a question that I have is, is where does one begin with such a, with such a massive uh, disaster relief effort? Yeah, so uh, at the time uh, that uh, my role is the, as the head of the operation, I took lead and to coordinate all of the operation by mobilizing all PMA resources in affected areas, as well as mobilizing support from the PMA provinces and district of the networking the affected districts at the same island to provide pickup relief rescue team, medical team, wash team, and also providing basic need food and non-food item. And of course, there's not easy for us because in the series of disaster, and we have also limitation in the national headquarters. So that's why we communicate to the all of PMI provinces in the whole country to support the affected area because we have the big disaster uh, one in Lombok and the second in Palu and also the third one in uh, Sunda Strait. So that's why we have to mobilize the all resources from the Jakarta. We mobilize our relief item from our regional warehouse from Jakarta, Surabaya, Serang, and also Sulawesi, uh, Kalimantan. So this is the wind that we can support to the affected areas. So, but uh, what we have now that PMI uh, applied the localization yeah, and decentralization of the authority to give more, uh, you know, the role and responsibility for from the affected uh, areas to lead the operation. And from the national side, we will provide the technical support and also the logistic and also funding. And with our coordination with uh, IFRC and also ICRC, we submitted our appeal. And now we have the one appeal to cover three uh, our operation in Lombok earthquake, in Sulawesi earthquake, liquefaction and tsunami, and the last one in Sunda Strait for the tsunami. So, Sydney, um, after hearing that, I'm, I'm curious to know sort of, you know, how soon did you arrive? What was your role there? And, and what was some of the work that you took on uh, in your initial first few weeks? So, I arrived on the island of Lombok in mid-August, just as this series of earthquakes had affected the local communities there and as aftershocks were ongoing. My role was really to act as an extension of Palang Merah, Indonesia, which, as I said, means the Indonesian Red Cross, and we refer to it sometimes as PMI as well. And there's a long history of partnership between the American Red Cross and the Indonesian Red Cross. And so it was really um, a meaningful experience to get to take part in that legacy of partnership. I was there to work um, with the external relations team of the Indonesian Red Cross and really acted as an additional resource for them, an extension of their team and a surge support to the existing Indonesian Red Cross team. And so I embedded within the local Indonesian Red Cross volunteer team 
um, to work across the island with external partners as members of the media inquired about you know, how people were doing who were affected by these earthquakes and aftershocks and how the Red Cross was helping. My job was to help tell that story. And really the story that I told alongside my Indonesian um, Red Cross colleagues and volunteers was that the community was strong and resilient and hopeful despite all going on around them with the various disasters. Yeah, and speaking more about this important partnership between the American Red Cross and the Indonesian Red Cross, um, Arafin, I wonder if you could say a few words uh, about this uh, partnership and um, really how far it's come uh, over recent years. Yes, uh, as fellow member of the Red Cross and Red Crescent Movement, PMI as Operating National Society and American Red Cross as the Participating National Society have very close relationship. Our relationship is based on the mutual understanding as the family of Red Cross Red Crescent Movement in spirit of the partnership, mutual support, uh, working together, trust and respect to each other. And American Red Cross as PNSs to support PMI in line with the priorities and the objective of the PMI, which has been described in PMI strategic development plan. With the spirit of the Red Cross and Red Crescent Movement, uh, PMI and American Red Cross uh, have agreed to work together in implementing program and also services. And uh, we recognize our work and we also agree to have uh, the best coordination and communication to ensure that uh, our current program support can be implemented effective, coherent and so sustainable uh, and also really provide the sustainable solution. And I think the American Red Cross and also US, USID are our very important and strategic partner. PMI has been working together with American Red Cross even before the tsunami of Aceh in 2004. PMI had often collaborated with American Red Cross. The support of American Red Cross is not only focused on the field of operation to handle the impact of disaster, but also touch on the capacity building program of PMI organization, as well as also community capacity building program. Arfin, I love that you mentioned um, that you see our partnership as part of the wider Red Cross, Red Crescent family. That's exactly what I would have mentioned. And as part of this global network, our two Red Cross societies really do have a special bond, as Pak Arifin mentioned. And I would add that it's really incredible to think that the American Red Cross and the Indonesian Red Cross were collaborating and working together, even in Lombok, in advance of um, these earthquakes. In 2015 to, th to 2017, we were doing um, preparedness and earthquake safety drills in local schools. And so the impact of that alone in saving lives later once earthquakes began in Lombok is just tremendous to think about. We've done some really innovative work as well in planting mangroves together in coastal areas, which um, will produce research that really can be used in other parts of the world as well to help protect coastal areas during disasters. Um, 
And I would add that the American Red Cross learns so much from this partnership. I know the Indonesian Red Cross feels the same and really the the fruits of our collaboration can be felt across the United States um, in all that we learn from how the Indonesian Red Cross engages volunteers and mobilizes at a very local level and builds capacity of local community members. And it's something that we learn from and then take back to our own programs domestically here in the U.S. Yeah, and uh, it's great that you mentioned disaster uh, preparedness uh, preparedness efforts. Um, I wonder, Arafin, if you could speak a, a little bit to that uh, on how does the community respond? What's the participation like in terms of disaster simulations, teaching earthquake preparedness, providing first aid instruction? Uh, perhaps you could say a few words about that. Yeah, so I think as the largest voluntary based humanitarian organization in Indonesia, PME has auxiliary role to the government. In this regard, PMA role is supporting the community and government in humanitarian action. Uh, PMA has the two strategies. The first one uh, is how to improve the capacity building of PMA organization, the capacity building of PMA volunteer staff and also POTS member. And the second thing is how to empowering capacity to the community uh, to be capable yeah, to analyze their hazard risk to cope their disaster if there is disaster and also to minimize the risk of disaster and to initiate any kind of the effort that can be reduced the risk of disaster and also climate change uh, so, uh, the impact of climate change and implementation of natural disaster preparation effort in Indonesia, PMI divide into two situations. The first situation where there is no disaster, PMI will provide the special assistance to the community to provide the VCA, uh, risk and vulnerability analysis, disaster management planning, ODNC plan, risk mapping, and also training, education, and also disaster risk reduction and adaptation to climate change, promotion of the well-prepared, the family toward the disaster, the impact of disaster, and also how to make sure that all of uh, the community member they have you know, the personal readiness to cope uh, the impact of disaster. Well, I wonder if we could um, talk a little bit about on-the-ground realities uh, during such relief efforts. Um, Sydney, perhaps you could say a few words about just the general atmosphere um, during these efforts and what, what would you envision uh, as the biggest challenge while working uh, in Indonesia? Sure. So... I would say that the challenging atmosphere um, was, I would say that the atmosphere was made more challenging by the ongoing aftershocks and this kind of um, series of disasters that continued during the course of the response operation. So as local volunteers were mobilizing and beginning to distribute shelter materials, clean water, um, conducting trainings in schools so that children 
um, knew how to evacuate and move to safety in the event of aftershocks, those aftershocks didn't stop. And so this work was ongoing amidst, frankly, terrifying um, tremors that continued. And I would say that around the island, you could feel a sense of concern over how long these aftershocks and earthquakes were going to continue. There was a lot of concern around um, families who had homes near the ocean, giving the threat of um, tsunami. And so families were moving to higher ground. And I would say that of course, the aftershocks were disruptive on business and school and day-to-day life. But more than that, it was um, harmful to peace of mind and kind of the emotional well-being of community members. So that said, the Indonesian Red Cross volunteers really put an emphasis and a focus on psychosocial support, emotional care, mental health support services. And for me, it was truly profound to see that work being done because the context was so uncertain and frightening at times. I I will never forget, we went to a town called Danyang in northern Lombok, which was really the epicenter of the destruction. And in the village of Danyang, not a single home survived the earthquakes. Not a single one. And so if you picture going up to wherever you live, whether that's an apartment building or a cul-de-sac or a a middle-sized town, trying to fathom the reality that no homes were left for your neighbors is pretty unfathomable and overwhelming. And I met a family named there. Um, There was a father named Asar, and he talked about the impact of that. And yet the impact that Palang Merah or the Indonesian Red Cross was having in helping his family to just feel hope again, the shelter materials that they were distributing, the clean water that they were supplying, which otherwise wouldn't have been accessible, the medical supplies um, and medical clinics that were stood up were all incredibly impactful and so necessary And yet I think that what I saw the Indonesian Red Cross provide that was more valuable than anything was a renewed sense of hope and a little bit of peace of mind in this context that was so challenging at times. Arifin, I wonder if you could add add to that and perhaps um, insert um, any vignettes or anecdotal um, stories that might um, uh, exemplify uh, the people of Indonesia. Yeah, so the first, before we proceed to that question, I would like also to share the challenge that we always face it by PMI in every disaster operation. As uh, I mentioned previously, that the series of disaster in Lombok, Sulawesi, and also Sunda Street, that we really hate it with the logistic and transportation. Why? It is because of the complexity of Indonesian geographical areas. As the largest archipelagic country in the world, Indonesia territory has very wide area requiring adequate logistic and transportation resources. 
and frankly speaking that logistic and transportation cost for the disaster response operations especially in eastern part of indonesia are very high so in addition to transporting our relief good item from the our regional warehouse in jakarta surabaya and also kalimantan and sumatra also need uh, you know the cost and sometime also we really headache and we Uh, really headed with uh, you know the limitation of our transportation mortality the second challenge is dealing with the the capacity building of pmi and also resources yes we realize that uh, pmi uh, has at least two uh, million volunteers uh, spread uh, throughout of indonesia and the lombok for example is not a strong province Sulawesi also not strong province, but we have to consider that they have to lead on the operation. So that's why the national headquarters try to provide the adequate capacity uh, step by step. They can, if they, and they will, we will provide the capacity building on job training, peer to peer learning, and also, uh, you know, the responsibility, the leadership and everything. That make sure that they quite uh, strong enough to lead the next operation, and I think that currently uh, I would like to share the situation now in Sulawesi and also Lombok that currently we are still in the recovery period. The high expectation of the affected people to PMI is still very high now. This is because many humanitarian organizations have ended their mission, and the need of the shelter is still very high. Initially, PMI was reported by IFRC planning to build transitional shelter for the living outside of the camp. But however, uh, because the changing of policy from the government that we will not continue our construction, but we will support for the additional uh, transitional housing and also permanent house. There are still many ITPs currently still living in the camp, especially in the cities of Palu, Dunggala, in Sigi. Different with Lombok. In Lombok, they 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 stay in their own land. They stay in their 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 own areas. But because of the liquefaction and also tsunami in Palu, Dunggala, and Siki, so the IDPs now still stay in the IDPs camp. The government provide the barrack, so the the IDPs will stay in barrack at least for maximum for two years. And currently, government also start with the building of the permanent house. Especially for the IDPs who still stay in the IDP scam. Arfin, I love something that you said about the local efforts of volunteers in Lombok and Sulawesi, and I would just add to that that I really was so impressed by the efforts of local volunteers, and it's incredible to think that. Many of the volunteers who I met, and there were hundreds of volunteers mobilized during the Lumbuck response. I believe it was around 700 volunteers who were active in supporting affected communities. They were members of the communities, and it was incredible that they, during this really difficult time, were coming to help their neighbors. Many of the local volunteers in Lumbok had experienced damage or destruction of their own homes, their industry, where 
you know, they had their source of income were disrupted during this time. And yet they either raised their hands to start volunteering for the first time with the Indonesian Red Cross, or they decided to put back on their uniform. And instead of first maybe working on their home or only focusing on their own situation, they decided to lend a hand. And that's really the essence and the spirit of Indonesian Red Cross volunteers. And I think the beauty of localized response, they knew exactly how to interact with community members and be a source of support for them because they're part of the community. It's their families as well who were impacted by this very disaster. And that said, there were also um, hundreds of volunteers who came from elsewhere in Indonesia to support. So folks from the different surrounding islands um, came to Lombok and were really just eager to kind of help their neighbors, so to speak. And I just think that the locally led response was such a beautiful part of what was ongoing in Lombok. And I think a true reflection of the Indonesian people. Yeah, and wrapping this up, Arifin, I wonder if you could add to that, perhaps speaking about the resiliency uh, of the Indonesian people. Yeah, so like or dislike, the Indonesian people should be ready because so many disasters in our country. So our area also very complex, especially for the eastern part of Indonesia. So as the Sydney mentioned that we applied the localization and also decentralization. So with the support from the American Red Cross, so after tsunami operation, so we had the program that supported the American Red Cross and USAID at the time to initiate what we call as the Committee-Based Disaster Risk Reduction in Aceh after tsunami operation. And since the operation of the Aceh earthquake uh, and tsunami disaster, American Red Cross established the representative office in Jakarta and now is still active until now to support the kind of the resilient uh, community development. And PMI, after tsunami, we really open mind, uh, open our knowledge and we really open how to get more resilient community in the ground because uh, very difficult, for example, now we currently we still have our operation in Papua, very remote area. And also the other area also like in, you know, in the Wamena and also Lanijaya, this also uh, our concern how to make the community more resilient. So that's why start from now, learn from the series of disasters that happen in our country that we really need to provide more capacity building uh, to initiate disaster risk reduction and climate change adaptation, the program in the community level. As uh, Sydney mentioned, for example, uh, American Red Cross support the PMI to planting more than 1 million mangrove in Aceh, in Jawa Island, and also in Lombok Island. And now the committee still sustain their effort to initiate more sustainable solution. They can uh, in collaborate with the livelihood activities. They also uh, still continue their, uh, you know, well-prepared uh, family uh, for the disaster, and also how to provide uh, each community they have 
prepare by themselves how to deal the impact of disaster. I think the resilient is the key for PMI after we learn the serif of disaster in our country. And on the note of resiliency, I just um, had someone come to mind who I met while I was in Lombok during the response effort, and her name was Fasua. And she was a local entrepreneur and I think really embodied the essence of resiliency across the island and across the country of Indonesia. Um, Fazua's storefront had been um, first damaged during the early earthquakes and then later completely destroyed as the earthquakes and aftershocks continued. And she was a, a female entrepreneur and had a small shop where she would sell different cakes and sweets and was really staple in her community with uh, a bustling business. And so when her storefront was destroyed, I can only imagine how devastating that must have been for her on you know her spirit and her outlook, and of course on her family's source of income and their very livelihood, which was supported by this store that no longer existed. And when I met Fazua, she had um, decided that she was going to start back up her business. Even amidst these continued aftershocks, she um, found a table and decided to kind of cook outside of her now temporary shelter because her home had also been affected during the earthquakes. And she decided to start that business back up. And when I met her, you could just feel this strength and determination inside of her to provide for her family no matter what. And I felt that resilience with so many other community members who faced similarly heartbreaking situations. And yet every morning they decided to continue rebuilding, to continue moving forward and doing what they could um, to pave the way forward. And so I just mentioned that as a reflection, I think, of the resiliency that I experienced firsthand with community members in Lombok. And thank you for sharing that example. Um, in closing, I, I think I hope that this has been a great opportunity for our, our listeners to gain a deeper appreciation of the great work led by uh, both the American Red Cross and the Indo Indonesian Red Cross. Uh, it is a testament uh, to the important relationship between the United States and Indonesia. And while these tragic uh, natural disasters do occur, um, it is um, comforting to know that uh, these two organizations are working diligently to, to help uh, preserve uh, the, the great nation of Indonesia. Uh, so thank you very much. Thank you both uh, speakers for joining us uh, today. And uh, we invite uh, anyone and everyone uh, to do what they can in volunteering for the Red Cross. Thank you very much.